0: Welcome to the St. George's Leads Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. It's really good to, um, to be with you this morning. For those of you who might not know me, like Chase said, my name's Ellie, and I've been a member of the congregation here for about 18 months, I'm married to Josh, who leads Holy Trinity Ball Lane, and we've also got three kids that you might have seen storming the stage at various points um, in the last few weeks, so yeah, that's me, um, and it's a real privilege to be here. So throughout Lent, we've been looking at a series called Growing on the Frontline. And last week, if you were here, um, Eve spoke about maturing us for the different seasons of life. And I'd encourage you to go watch it back on YouTube if you can, So it was a really fantastic talk. And she shared that these seasons are not the same as stages of life, but rather they're different spiritual seasons in our lives. So growing on our front line in this series, we're recognizing the idea that God is always at work through all the seasons of our lives. And today, we're going to look particularly at one of those seasons, and that's the season of winter. Winter represents spiritual seasons in our lives where we might face challenges. Challenges that could be very painful, Um, But particularly challenges where maybe God, in those seasons, can feel distant. So our question today is, what does it look like to go deeper with God, to grow, to become more like Jesus in winter seasons, as well as in the other seasons of our lives? Now, I don't know about you, but I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with winter. Just out of interest, who in the room thinks winter is their most favourite season? Because there are some people. I'm imagining not many. I think there's literally one, two hands. Two hands. Um, Now, there's lots of things I really love about winter. I really enjoy the knitwear. I do enjoy snow, crisp walks in the snow. Um, I like hosing up with blankets and candles and those kind of things. But I don't know if, like me, it gets to kind of mid-January, February time, and I'm done. I'm done with winter. And I really struggle to love it. And there's that darkness that it can just feel really long. One of my favorite parts of winter that comes is actually snowdrops. Now where we lived in Scotland, there was a, um, a wooded garden estate that you could visit, and they had a festival every year, about end of January, start of February, and it was called the Snowdrop Festival. And whoever owned the estate had made it her mission to propagate snowdrops throughout the woods for many, many years. It was absolutely beautiful, and you could walk down to the sea and through the woods and see all these gorgeous snowdrops. There's something uniquely beautiful about snowdrops. And for me, it's the winter and the bleakness that surrounds them that makes them so beautiful. And the image of the snowdrop really captured me when preparing for this talk. Because part of the snowdrop's beauty is that it grows in winter. It's so beautiful because of the bleakness and the darkness that it fights to come out of when we look at the idea of maturing through seasons of suffering, we're recognizing that there is something about these winter times in our lives, something about struggle, something about challenge, that can bring about fruit in us that is so much more beautiful than if those times had not been there, similar to the snowdrop. But also, this is a really challenging and sensitive topic for many reasons. And from the outset, I think there's some things to acknowledge if we want to frame this topic well. And the first is that the Bible teaches that death and pain and suffering as a result of sin. So in that sense, they're not from God, but rather they are used by God. And the second is that the ultimate destination for God's creation is one that is free from death and suffering. I think if we keep those two things in mind, it helps frame this topic. It's also worth noting that these two statements are quite a simplification of a really big question. The question of how a good God allows evil and suffering is not the topic of this talk. I would encourage you if this is something that you might find challenging or difficult to grapple with it and maybe speak to someone, someone who leads here that might be able to point you to some resources. I want to consider three things that might help us go deeper with God in winter seasons. And the first is looking at learning to lament, the second learning to hope, and the third learning to abide. So, we're going to start with looking at learning to lament. What is lament? Well, simply put, lament is allowing ourselves to notice, to admit and to experience sadness. So, why might lament be important in this topic? I think lament enables us to recognise the brokenness of the world. And as a culture, we're not very good often at lamenting. Um, My husband Josh is from Yorkshire, many of you in the room are, I'm not. I was brought up in France, Um, I think the French have a very different attitude um, to to this. They're not as stoic as British people are. Um, But don't make a fuss and just get on with it, it's quite a kind of a mantra in my husband's Yorkshire family. And don't mishear me, I'm not saying that having perspective or being positive in the face of challenges is a bad thing, not at all. But rather that this attitude that we can sometimes have as British people can mean that we struggle to come face to face with our vulnerability as human beings. Church and Christian community needs to be a place where we can be honest and we can lament the brokenness we see around us and in ourselves. And sometimes we can be too quick to jump to hope and we don't make space for lament. And this current season of Lent is an opportunity to reflect on our mortality and the effects of sin in the world and in ourselves. In the liturgy of Ash Wednesday we do say, from dust you've come and to dust you will return. It's an opportunity to make space for lament. The Bible is not very stoic. At its center, you have the book of Psalms, and a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They express the entire breadth of human emotions, from anger, confusion, despair, to love, joy, and hope. I chose to read this Psalm for several reasons. It's it's sometimes quite a difficult psalm to read. Um, The psalmist is not afraid to be brutally honest in this psalm. So the first reason is the fact that he puts into words this idea of feeling distant from God. He speaks of anguish, he speaks of crying out, of groaning. And notice that he calls God my God at the beginning, my God, my God. And this is someone who knows God and has a relationship with God. And I think part of this distress at the beginning of this psalm is that having known the closeness of God, the psalmist feels his absence even more, and that can feel even more painful Now, this psalm was also said by Jesus on the cross, um, and it's a very famous psalm for that reason. And there's lots we can say theologically about it. There's lots we can say about the fact that it's a prophetic psalm. But also, I was struck by the fact that Jesus, in his moment of anguish, used the words of this psalm. They were on his lips. Jesus quotes the psalms more than any other um, books of the Hebrew Scriptures. He quotes them a lot because those were the words that the people around him would have known. They recited the Psalms regularly, they sung the Psalms regularly. When we see these kinds of responses in Scripture, it helps us to see that our own experiences are valid, both our experiences of the closeness of God but also the distance of God. And I think recognising that can be a place to start when we want to go deeper with God in difficult times. Jesus used those words to help him to pray to God in those moments. And I think the Psalms can be a refuge for us when we go through winter seasons. In my own life, when I've struggled and with times of depression in the last few years surrounding the birth of my children, I found it difficult to pray. And I think we've all been in those times in our lives where prayer can feel hard. It can feel difficult. And in those seasons, using the Psalms was a refuge for me, because I could read the Psalms, and they would give me words, and my own words would dry up. And there's many, many different psalms of lament. And lamenting and being honest with God enables us to bring all of ourselves to him. By letting God see all of ourselves, he can transform all of ourselves. Transformation is about being changed to be more like Jesus. And this whole series is about being transformed to be more like Jesus. That's what growing means on the journey of discipleship. It's, it's transformation to become more like him. Winter seasons in our lives are really difficult and we're not denying that and that's why we need to lament but they can also be an opportunity for God to work in us, for us to become more intimate with God. The other thing about lament that's really important is it enables us to move to properly hope. It's not, I think, until we're honest about the brokenness of the world that we can truly see the light of God's salvation for what it really is. It's really hard to come to terms of the effect of sin that we see all around us and in our own lives. Sometimes, as a culture, I think we'd rather numb reality with endless distraction. But lament is a recognition that we are made for wholeness. If we minimize this, then we inevitably minimize the resurrection. The season of Lent can be one where we enter into lament, and by doing that, we prepare our hearts to receive the hope of the resurrection at Easter. And that's why, as Christians, we place it before Easter in the church calendar. And that does bring us, though, to our second point, learning to hope. The Psalms do not tell us to kind of paper over how we're feeling with a sort of chin-up sentiment. But they teach us to locate our pain and our longing in a story. And that's the story of God's salvation. If we look at Psalm 22, we see the psalmist do this. First, he looks to the past and then he looks to the future. In verses 3 to 5, which are going to come up, he talks about God's faithfulness to his ancestors. He says, "...in you our ancestors put their trust." He's looking back to the fact that God was faithful to the people of Israel. He's looking back to the past and he's seeing that God was faithful to them. And that can be a reminder that our winter seasons don't last forever. And he makes it personal. He moves from a general history to a more personal history. He says, yet you brought me out of the womb in verses 9 to 10. You made me trust in you says from my mother's womb you have been my God. He's looking back and he's remembering God's individual faithfulness to him. What is our story of God's faithfulness? I think it's really important to remember when we are going through these winter seasons to look back and to remind ourselves of where God has been faithful in the past when we have felt his closeness. But it's not just about the past. From verse 27 to the end, he looks to the future. And there's a lot of themes of bowing down before him. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. Here the psalmist is looking forward He's looking forward to a time when God will return and make all things right. And every knee will bow before Jesus. That's the language he's using. It's looking forward. Looking forward to hope. Real hope. True hope. The last bit, he has done it is this incredible sentence at the end of the psalm. It's an amazing sentence because it says, Jesus fully defeated death and sin at the cross when he rose from the dead. And that means that the transformation of everything has begun. He has done it. And notice that's in, in the past. So it's, lo- it's, it's looking back. Now obviously this was written before um, Jesus came but we believe that a lot of this psalm is looking forward to his coming and it speaks of a lot of what Jesus went through and when Jesus said why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross I think he was also saying that a lot of the prophecies in the psalms were pertaining to him so when Jesus died and when he rose from, from the dead he's ushered in the transformation that it will spread to the whole of creation. God's renewal of all things is clearly not yet finished and we see that every day. And the hope that we have as we go through difficult and dark times is that he, what he is doing in us as well is part of that transformation of the whole of the universe. And that's what we need to remember and fix our eyes on when we are feeling the effects of this broken world God's redemption also starts in us. So when we say that times of suffering can mature us and grow us, we're saying that that transformation is starting in our lives. And he is changing us into his image, and we are part of a bigger story. And to finish, I want to think about this idea of learning to abide So even her talk last week looked at the passage in John 15, where Jesus tells us that if we are to be fruitful in any season of our life, we must learn to abide or remain in Jesus, because outside of Him there is no fruit. We're thinking about what does it look like to mature in seasons where it feels like there is no fruit. Winter looks bare; it looks like there is no fruit. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus more specifically in these seasons of our lives? Now in verse 19 to 21 of the psalm I mentioned before is this pivot from lament to praise. But in verse 19 the psalmist says, but you Lord do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. You are my strength. When we go through times of pain or suffering, what we need is God himself. This idea of him being our strength when our strength is gone, speaks to me a bit of abiding, this image of abiding. Abiding in the love of Jesus is what he talks about. And I think when we talk about maturing, what we often want is a ten point plan. We want a five steps to fruitfulness maybe going to more church meetings, or praying more, singing more, whether it be giving more to the poor, reading the Bible more, spending more time with Christians. But it's true that some of these things, abiding might lead to some of these things. I'm not denying that. But it isn't synonymous with them. It's not the same thing. And if I think when we're told to abide, our response is to try and do more, then we've kind of missed the point. The word abide is sometimes translated to remain, which speaks of being still. It's the very opposite of doing more. Growing into maturity is less something we do and more something we let God do to us, especially through times of trial. Our part is to surrender and to let God have his way in us. Suffering often has a way of stripping us back. It has a way of making us realise the things we think that we need, like our desires for approval or security or control, are not the things we truly need. It's about surrendering these desires to God So that he can work in us And when we go through winter seasons It looks like no growth is happening God can feel distant We might struggle to go to church We might struggle to pray Or read the Bible at all But abiding is trusting That God is working Even when we don't feel like he is Even when it might not look like he is and the kind of winter seas, fruit from winter seasons might not be instant. It sometimes takes a lifetime to see where God's been at work in our lives. And it's often when we look back that we see that it was in these particular winter seasons that God was doing his deepest work in us. And what I want to finish with is the truth that Jesus... Is Emmanuel, God with us in our suffering. And we've talked about the distance of God, but I think it's helpful to remember there's a difference between the felt distance of God and the actual distance of God. Even when God may feel distant, what we see in this psalm is that Jesus took on the forsakenness of God for us. He was forsaken so that we do not need to be forsaken. So even though God may feel distant, actually when we look to Jesus, we see the God who is so close. He entered into our pain, into our suffering. He was a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief. And we might not ever have the full answers as to why God allows suffering and allows death to continue. But what we can say is that Jesus entered entirely into our sadness, our sickness, our death. And yet he lives and he will set all things right. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.